Hello and welcome to the Crime Time FM Review Show, our new regular monthly feature. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. I could start by telling you that this is a bumper month, but then to be honest, every month's a bumper month these days, which is good for readers and choice, but absolutely bewildering for critics. That said, I have 15 titles for you today, and the range of topics, locations and styles is absolutely breathtaking. And that's why I really love crime fiction. I'm going to start with a financial thriller. This is a book that caught my eye because the author, Justin Wheatley, is the grandson of bestseller Dennis Wheatley, a legend in the horror field. Justin Wheatley's novel, The Fractured Tree, however, is something completely different. A city-based thriller with an ecological theme. So The Fractured Tree is set in 2014, and the backdrop is a campaign to stop fracking, as environmentalists front up to corporate power. Sebastian Shaw is 24, his girlfriend is an environmentalist, and his dad is preparing a major report on fracking that could determine its future. Coincidentally, not. Sebastian gets a job working for charismatic City of London banker, Edouard de Tocqueville. Sebastian soon finds himself caught between lifestyle, money, and conscience. This is a thriller about financial shenanigans and corporate greed, with a nod to climate change and the world going to hell in a handcart. It's a solid thriller, intriguing and insightful, but the novel's real strength is Sebastian, the portrait of the young man seduced by power and money, and facing issues of loyalty to his family and, of course, his lover Kate. Witnessing the young man's search for his identity, and the struggle with moral issues which, of course, lead to questions about how much of your soul you can retain while working for the devil, are at the real heart of the novel. I have to say this is a really impressive debut, but it's a very personal book, as I said, a character study of Sebastian. Published by White Fox Books in hardback, and available now. And so to the first of the real big blockbusters of the month. This is Steve Kavanagh's The Accomplice. I have to say, before I read Steve Kavanagh, I wasn't a really big fan of the legal thriller, but he certainly has made me rethink that prejudice. His Eddie Flynn novels are proper page-turners, always predicated on good ideas, fizzing with sharp dialogue and great characters, and there's a healthy dose of humour thrown in too. When you read The Accomplice, it's like reconnecting with old friends. The FBI Behavioural Science Unit hunt killers, and they finally trace their man, the Sandman, Daniel Miller. He's killed 17 people, but when they raid his home, he's fled, so they arrest his wife Carrie. The press dub her the most evil woman in America. But did Carrie really know what her husband was up to? Gabriel Lake is ex-FBI, retired after a near-death encounter with a killer, and he may be the only person who can catch Miller. Those of you who know him will know that Eddie Flynn likes to stand up for the little guy, and particularly the innocent. So why is he taking on Carrie Miller's case? Could she be a victim too? In the absence of Miller, the full weight of the law is going to come down on Carrie, but there's no way Miller's going to hand himself in. He does, however, have a plan, and that involves stopping his wife from going to jail. And if that means killing witnesses or anybody else involved with the trial, so be it. But then Miller goes one step further, and it becomes very personal for Eddie and his team. It's a race against time to ensure that Carrie doesn't go to jail, and a killer is caught. A totally gripping, page-turning mystery. Very clever, and it introduces a new great regular character to the Flynn team. You won't be able to put it down. I'll leave you with this. Eddie says at one point, there are some people in the world who lack empathy. He's not talking about serial killers, however. He's talking about judges. 
The Accomplice is published by Orion in hardback on the 21st of July. Sticking with the heavyweights, listen to me, Tess Gerritsen. This latest Boston set Rizzoli and Isles mystery, the 13th, is a gripping addition to the series. 52-year-old nurse Sofia Suarez is bludgeoned to death in an apparently senseless crime. It falls to Detective Jane Rizzoli and forensic pathologist Maura Isles to find some reason for the apparent motiveless murder. Rizzoli latches on to a clue, and that reveals some dark secrets in Sophia's past life. And while Jane is tied up on this knotty case, her mother Angela Rizzoli is trying to get her involved in a mystery of her own. She believes something terrible has happened in her own community, involving the new neighbours across the street. The problem is the local police don't think there's anything in it at all. But housewife Angela has the bit between her teeth, as Jane won't help. She decides to take matters into her own hands. Rizzoli and Isles are an intriguing pairing. There's a little bit of abrasiveness and a little bit of secret keeping between the two in this novel, but actually they're very, very good friends. The two-track plotline is very intriguing, and as always, of course, this is very well written. A solid contemporary thriller from an author who knows her many strengths and writes to them. Published by Bantam Press in hardback and available now. And back to London for a psychological thriller. All I Said Was True by Imran Mahmood. Some of you may have seen a very good TV adaptation of You Don't Know Me, Mahmood's first novel. And his third developed some of the themes that kind of came out in that novel too. Thirty Years of Barrister has taught Mahmood a lot about the unreliability of witnesses and evidence, of memory and guilt and the nature of truth, and the need to listen to people's stories. He's carving a niche in legal thrillers by exploring complex characters, the most unreliable of unreliable narrators, but characters who have something to say that needs to be heard before the full story can be revealed. Evidence, perception and truth can be contradictory. So where the truth lies isn't always an easy matter to decide. And Mahmood also questions the rush to judgment in the criminal justice system and that desire that we all have for a linear, clear narrative when life isn't really like that. Leila Mahoney is suspected of murdering Amy Bland. She was found next to the body, she's covered in blood, and the murder happened on a secluded rooftop. Leila claims not to know Amy, and she blames someone called Michael. If the police can find Michael, they will have the answer to all their questions. But as far as the police are concerned, there is no Michael. There's no CCTV evidence of him at the crime scene. More and more, the evidence damns Leila. There's an apparent connection between Amy and her husband, and the murder weapon. So if he's real, why can't Layla direct the police to Michael? The novel poses lots of intriguing questions, and Mahmood really gets inside the head of his protagonist, Layla. It's not so much that the plot relies on a twist, as understanding that you can't take the first thing you think you know about a crime to be the absolute. The idea that the truth is a nebulous concept is both disturbing and enthralling. Mahmood deals with difficult characters brilliantly. I look forward to even more challenging explorations of the meaning of truth and guilt in future novels. Published by Raven Books in hardback on the 21st of July. An intriguing and twisty domestic noir next. The Apartment Upstairs by Leslie Cara. Scarlet's moving back to her bedsit near Woolwich Barracks. She hasn't been there since her aunt was brutally murdered upstairs. But she figures life has to return to normal at some point. Her aunt was murdered by her lover Clive, who then killed himself. Scarlet suffers from chronic fatigue syndrome, 
and although her father and brother don't agree, she wants her independence back by moving into her own place again. Meanwhile, Dee runs the fond farewell funeral home. She's organising the funeral for Scarlett's aunt, but also an event to commemorate the disappearance of her friend ten years ago. As they plan her aunt's funeral, Scarlett and Dee soon find out that there's a connection between her aunt and the missing girl, Gina. So what actually happened to Gina ten years before? And was her aunt's death as straightforward as everyone believes? This intriguing contemporary mystery is very satisfying, full of twists and turns. Domestic noir fans will love it. A perfect beach read. Published by Bantam Books in hardback and available now. So, a complete change of pace for the next one. The Rope Juggler by Judson Blake. I like a dose of pulp in my month and Blake obliges. Miranda has little time for Milo, but he fantasizes that their brief get-together could be a more permanent thing one day. They live in the same apartment block. Milo is the supervisor. He has little time for his own girlfriend, Holly. Milo, incapable of playing it straight, finally gets a date with Miranda. She's busy right now, but she says he should call back after midnight. And he's all set. But then Milo gets into a fight, bangs his head, and his friends wind up taking him to hospital. Milo discharges himself. But by the time he does get back to her apartment several hours late, Miranda is dead. He thinks he sees a man in the shadows but that's about all before the bump on his head causes him to crash out again. With Holly sticking close, Milo tries to conduct his own investigation. Of course, the cops are onto it too, a dodgy PI and some Russian guy in the background. Not to mention the residents of the block, who all have, to some greater or lesser degree, a part in this story. What starts out as a pretty standard type of noir novel, echoing those classic tropes, slowly subverts this has some very contemporary themes. It's a subtle novel, which will keep you guessing all the way to the end. The murder could be sexual. It could be political. Or maybe it's just very personal for a whole other reason. Milo's bumbling through the mystery adds a touch of humour to a dark, moody tale. A quick, enjoyable read. Published by Starkhouse Press in paperback and available now. Ever Feckin' Dean Kuntz brings us the big dark sky in a genre-hopping thriller. Kuntz takes us on a journey across a mystical, theosophical landscape. He creates characters with the fluency and invention of Dickens, and her plots are always extraordinary, but intriguing. It's brilliant that Kuntz doesn't rest on his laurels, but wants to keep pushing boundaries. Even if this is not your usual type of novel, the writing is good enough to pull you in anyway. If I have a qualm, it's that I don't always like the denouement, the explanation of the strange and wonderful events that happen in the novel. But saying that, it's a hell of a ride as you go along. Kunz uses strange coincidences and twists that other authors shy away from, but readers absolutely love them. In this novel, Joanna Chase is nine years old. She's happy and well-adjusted. Then her mother dies. Cryptically, the last words her mother ever say to her is, we will meet again. When Joanna is 34 and living in Santa Fe, Odd messages draw her back to that Montana childhood house. People from all over are being summoned to the remote ranch. Meanwhile, a serial killer in Rustling Willows believes he has a plan to save humanity. What is drawing everyone to Montana? What are these events building towards? A touch of mystery, fantasy, horror and humour. A parable about the modern world. 
You want something completely different? This is it. Published by Thomas and Mercer in hardback and available now. The Silk Pavilion by Sarah Walton is a literary thriller. This is the kind of novel that literary readers often resent being seen as crime. But crime readers can be trusted with the most important and significant issues as they affect society, particularly as the voice of the victim is best heard in crime fiction. Lucy is a young British journalist heading to the Villa Rosa in the small Spanish town of Dea, Mallorca, to interview the Spanish writer Miguel Mateo Nadal. At the end of the interview, Nadal pleads with Lucy to stay, to become his lover, but she returns to New York and the existing relationship she has, and to her job, of course. Eventually, though, she returns, giving up those things, on a whim, to live with Nadal. As the relationship intensifies, Lucy finds out a lot of things about herself, about her own past, remembering her deeply troubled relationship with her own father, and about the dark secrets that Nadal is keeping. As he becomes more demanding and manipulative, Lucy is fighting to maintain her own sense of identity, consumed by passion, but aware of the destructive nature of the relationship with the narcissist Nadal. The novel is about toxic relationships, about misogyny, and draws on the Spanish Civil War as a theme. This is a powerful, intense, incredibly frank and uncomfortably erotic portrait of a woman striving to find herself. An intelligent and strong woman who yet has those weaknesses that make her vulnerable. The prose is beautiful even when the subject is dangerous. The most literary novel of the month, and certainly one I'd highly recommend. Published by Barbican Press in paperback, and again available now. Altogether more fun to be had, mind you, with Sun Damage by Sabine Durant. This is the perfect holiday book, a proper page-turning, suspenseful thriller. Sean and Ali are a team. They've conned their way through India, Nepal and even Marrakesh and now they find themselves in the south of France where they spot an English tourist like a fish out of water. Lulu is an obvious mark. Here for a cookery course at a remote chateau. Sean is a predator. Ali had an unhappy childhood and he groomed her to be his partner in crime. But Ali lives in fear of Sean's temper. She's desperately looking for a way out. When the opportunity comes to steal Lulu's money and her identity and make a run for it, Ali does. She watched Sean kill Lulu, so he'll have his own problems to worry about. But has Ali finally got away from Sean? This is a twisty thriller and the plot flips in unexpected ways. And it's all the more enjoyable for that. It's tense and claustrophobic and an awful lot of fun. Published by Hodder and Stoughton in hardback. And available now. From sunny France to ever sunny California, Movieland by Lee Goldberg is the latest Eve Ronin thriller. Four books in, and this is rapidly becoming essential reading. Eve Ronin just wants to be taken seriously as a cop. Her mother would rather she was in the films. Something that seemed likely after an incident on camera gained her the nickname Death Fist. Her partner, Duncan Bavone, is trying to coast his way to his pension. But all is not well in the sunny land of Hollywood Hills and L.A. County. Malibu Creek State Park is a part of Hollywood folklore, a former 20th century lot. Zena Faust, an activist blogger, is on a holiday break with her girlfriend Kim when she's shot by a sniper. She isn't killed, but her girlfriend is missing. And then it's clear that there's a connection between this and some previous shooting incidents in the area. 
and that's obvious to everyone but the higher-ups, of course. But Eve won't let it go. Against the backdrop of corruption and misogyny, Eve and her partner Duncan follow their instincts uncovering a long-hidden conspiracy. Movie Land, like the other Eve Ronin books, is an intriguing mystery, with a little humour and a biting social commentary. But the essence of Movie Land is a great protagonist. I'd be just as happy with Goldberg as Connolly if I had to choose one of them as a representative of Californian crime literature. This is in the best traditions of hard-boiled novels, but with a very contemporary feel. I'm hoping that The Land of Dreams still has many nightmares to offer. Published by Thomas and Mercer in paperback and available now. Sticking with Americana, we have The Local by Joey Hartstone. This is a very different kind of legal thriller. Marshall, Texas is the home to Harrison County Courthouse, and behind it is the U.S. Court of the Eastern District. The place has a reputation for corporate cases. They come from across America to fight their battles here. James Euchre makes a great living off of patent infringement cases, the latest coming from Abe Rabinovitz of New York. His new client is Amir Zawar, whose company medallion is being sued. Zawar is unhappy about his case being heard in this hick town, and he doesn't mind telling people what he thinks. He falls out with the judge at the first hearing, and that's where the trouble starts. Judge Gerald Gardner is James's mentor. But when he turns up dead, James's client Zawar is the number one suspect. So can he defend the man who may have murdered his best friend? As the Peyton case and the murder case collide, there's an awful lot going on in the background here. The legal system and racism are two of the issues that come into focus in this brilliantly plotted and highly entertaining thriller. A superb bit of storytelling, especially for a debut. Published by Pushkin Vertigo and available in paperback now. Another very impressive debut is Hawk Mountain by Connor Habib. A much darker tale to be fair, but exceptionally well written and totally gripping. Todd is in his early thirties. His son Anthony is six. The two are enjoying a beach swim when a stranger who approaches turns out not to be a stranger at all. Todd hasn't seen Jack since his school days. It could be a conventional meeting of old pals, but there's a lot of tension there already. Todd is very unsettled. The two have history. Then it turns out that he can't shake Jack. He winds up coming back to the house. Jack has left his wife and has nowhere else to go. Jack conveys a sense of menace and Todd recognises the bully from his school days, although he says he's changed. It begs two questions. What happened back in school and on Hawk Mountain all those years ago in New England that left Todd traumatised? And how does Todd extract himself from Jack's clutches before it affects Anthony? The character study of the tormented Todd is compelling. This is a book loaded with compassion. A rich emotional tale. Published by Doubleday paperback and available now. Saichi Yokomizo's Death on Gokuman Island, translated by Louise Hill Kawai, is top-class entertainment. Like his Inigami curse or the village of eight graves, it's a Japanese mystery that reinvigorates golden age crime, full of ingenuity, style and local culture. Yokomizo's brilliant detective creation Kuzuki Kindaichi travels to the island to deliver the news that a son of the island's most important family has died returning from the war. 
but that's not all he's there for. The young man warned him before he died that his sisters were now in grave danger, and so it's Kindiachi's job to prevent any misfortune befalling the girls. Soon, Kindiachi is a target himself, and nobody welcomes his presence on this small clannish island. The mystery appears to be complex and unfathomable, but the clues are dotted all over the place, and the author loves playing a game with the reader. Fast, enjoyable, and clever. Published by Pushkin Vertigo and available in paperback now. The penultimate book is A Foreboding of Petrels by Steve Burrows, a DCI Dominic Jejeune mystery. When an Antarctic researcher realises he can't start his snowmobile, he knows he's dead. The radio's missing, the fuel line's been cut. This is murder. The killer must be waiting to return to make it look like an accident. Just before he dies, the man manages to leave a clue, which indicates what really happened. As he's suspended, Dominic begins to look into this murder. Meanwhile, DS Danny Malik, back in Norfolk, is dealing with a series of arsons, but they escalate when a body is discovered in a hide. The two cases appear to be linked, but as he's suspended, Dominic can't officially join the investigation in England. The author's interest in birding gives the novels a very distinct flavour. I haven't been following this series, but I enjoyed this very much. Point Blank Paperback available now. And finally, Appointment with Venus by Gerard Tickle. Originally published in 1950, this was made into a film starring David Niven and Glynis Johns a year later. This is a dark comedy, a war story set on the Channel Islands. Amorel is a fictional sark. It's set in 1940 when the Germans invade. Venus is a rare breed of cow and she's pregnant, and it would be a coup for the ministry and the people of the island to rescue the cow before the Germans managed to take her. The new German commander, Weiss, was a cattle breeder before the war, so he knows the value of the cow. And so begins a cat-and-mouse game to rescue the cow. So it's a different kind of battlefield, and it's comically played, but this is about tyranny and about class, and about a dying way of life, and about the courage people show in face of the worst things. There's a wonderful cast of quirky characters and a deeply poignant ending that makes you realise that although this has its lighter moments, everything about war is tragic and cruel. I admit this is a little bit niche, but it stands up to reading 70 years on. Mandalay is a new press dedicated to bringing back classics possibly forgotten for new readers. I had a vague memory of the film and that's what drew me to this novel, but it's a little gem so look out for it. Published by Mandalay Press in hardback and available now. Thank you for listening. If you want any details, just check out the program notes. I'll be back with another review show next month, but for now, bye. (laughs) 